Good morning, movie friends. Welcome back to the Quarter Cinema Podcast. I'm your host, Logan. Here, we talk about everything film and TV. doesn't matter if you're a pro in this field, if you want to even call yourself that, or if you're just a curious beginner trying to learn more about movies, there's something here for you to enjoy. Today's episode, we're going to be diving into my top 10 A24 movies. This is the only right list. Don't try to debate me. This isn't a matter of what I think should be considered the top 10 A24. This is just simply what is, not what should be. Before we dive into this episode, I do want to quickly remind you we're still under the effects of a writer's and actor's strike for some reason it's been over a month i thought it would be over by now link down in the show notes will have resources for you to educate yourself on the subject matter as well as support the cause if you want to without further ado we'll go ahead and dive into the episode so we'll start by who is a24 i'm not going to dive too much into this that's not the kind of episode Unless you've been living under a rock, it's the studio who has Hollywood by a chokehold. They have a very good reputation for forcing high-quality cinema down our throats year after year. They've been doing it for many years now that they're pretty good at it. Now, I haven't seen every single A24 movie. I think there's about like 50 or 60 A24 films. I've only seen about 30. So take that as you may, but I've seen all the important ones that I should see, and that's what this top 10 resides of. But before the top 10, I have a couple of honorable mentions that just missed the top 10 that I really, really enjoy. The first honorable mention goes to A24's Under the Silver Lake, directed by David Robert Mitchell. It's a very cool crime drama mystery, another great entry into the neo-noir subgenre. Think of Chinatown with Jack Nicholson, but just very twisted and very different. May creep you out a little bit, but that's kind of the point. It's the A24 movie that they really don't want you to know about, so I decided to let you know about it. But some honorable things to mention is that it's just really cool seeing my Spider-Man Andrew Garfield in this one. The cinematography is very well done. The Ari Alexa that they use in this one looks very, very good. A lot of great detail. You can count all the individual pieces of stubble on Andrew Garfield's face in this movie just because of that camera. It's very good. But yeah, an A24 film no one really talks about. Understandable why, but it's criminally underrated. Please check it out. The second honorable mention is for Minari, released in 2020. This one just missed the top 10. It's number 11. Directed by Lee Isaac Chung. It's one of my favorites for sure. This movie is absolutely beautiful. Just the cinematography provides just a golden layer of sunlight that perfectly brings such a great level of warmth to this movie. You can see in the poster alone just how beautiful this film is. Steven Yeun gives probably a career best performance. The narrative for this movie following the American dream and the greed and the ambition. And subconsciously, as Americans, we look at all these things that the film follows as a positive, but we don't really realize the negative that can affect us over time and affect our family and just our mental health. It's a very cool one for immigrants and just as Americans in general, it's a very good one for immigrants and Americans alike. I think it's one that we really should watch to just get a little shift of perspective. So those are the two honorable mentions. Let's go ahead and dive into the official top 10. So kicking off our top 10 is The Green Knights, directed by David Lowry. This very cool action-adventure, fantasy, mystical drama is so well done. Dev Patel plays Sir Gawain in this movie, and he does absolutely great. I love this story, the fantasy retelling of the medieval story of Sir Gawain and The Green Knight, and the ambiguity in the origin of this story is what makes it so cool. And the marketing as well, you can see how much they really dug into that, and that's what made it probably one of A24's best marketed films. It's kind of scary, just this English folklore brought to life that no one really knows where it came from. Kind of makes it a little scary. I don't know why. Also, though, the lighting for this film, I really could say it's one of A24's best lit films, if not their best lit film. Every frame of this movie is absolutely beautiful. I don't understand what it is. Just everything about it looks gorgeous. The only con I kind of have is maybe just be a little bit too hard to follow. I don't really have too much experience with the original story, so that may be why, but I don't know. I think it's confusing on the first watch and a little bit of hard to hear dialogue at times. That may be because I watched it free on YouTube and it was like a 480p stream. So that probably is the reason why. Upon rewatch, it may go up a little bit, but I think 10 still is very good. But besides that flaw, this movie is exquisite, immaculate, 
beautiful entry into the folklore mythology subgenre. It also made me realize how much I love the folklore and mythology, Norse mythology, Greek mythology subgenre that doesn't really get too much love nowadays. I wish it did. Moving on to number nine. Going into number nine, I have the Florida Project from 2017, directed by Sean Baker. I think for what it's worth, this is probably one of A24's most unique films. And the cast for this movie, besides William Defoe, it's filled with a lot of unknowns. The director, Sean Baker, casted a lot of these actors just because they looked the part and they understood the story that was supposed to be told, which is very well done in a very cool way to tell this story. And the performances for all these unknowns who don't have a lot of acting experience is pretty impressive, for sure. The cinematography for this movie is very beautiful, very iconic. Another good thing that the cinematography benefits from this is the production value and the set design. It takes place in, like, downtown touristy Orlando, which is a very cool backdrop for this movie. A lot of vibrant colors just from all the touristy shops. And the screenplay of this movie, intentionally aimless, because this movie really lies in the perspective of the children. And that's who you're kind of following throughout the movie, but you still get the main story, but through the children's eyes, which is very cool. Thematically rich as well, this film is, I think, very compelling, showcasing poverty in America. And for all intents and purposes, it is also, I think, a play on the role of capitalism in America, especially because of how big a role Disney plays in this movie. The only big con I have for it is probably the ending. Once you see it, you'll know what I mean. It makes sense why it's done like that, but just the way it's done. I don't like but also love about it i don't know but still definitely one you should watch if you live in california or florida or if you visit disney world or if you're a person who just travels regularly i think it's pretty good to watch and it's very captivating for sure kicking off number eight is past lives from slain song debuted earlier this year and i absolutely loved it the drama romance has quickly become one of my favorites i've only seen it one time but it's comfortably within the number eight spot for me in my top 10 we already have an episode on this movie spoiler free review so you can go watch that one but i'll kind of echo what i already said from that here kind of a will they won't they kind of movie but it's just beautifully executed i think everything for this movie just from the score the cinematography the acting the directing the set design one shot in particular is just absolutely tragic because it parallels between two parts of the movie. It's just beautifully tragic. It's a very different romance movie. I mean, we see these tropes being played time and time again in many films from many eras throughout history. But just something about the true love and the willingness to lose someone that you care about and who completes you. And if you're allowed to move on, it's a heavy burden of guilt that you're going to carry forever. And the unspoken promises you made to that person, it's just very beautiful. In my ranking for the year, it's number two, second to Oppenheimer, obviously. And for my romance ranking, it's that number 10 out of my 42 right now on that big list. My cons of the film, I don't know if I even like have any. I'd have to see it again, but I just don't really throw it on five out of five that much. My only real problem with it is that it ended, and I wish it didn't end. My overall thoughts, watch past lives. That's all you need to do. At number seven, I have Uncut Gems, the crime drama thriller from the Safdie Brothers. Starring Adam Sandler, Adina Menzel, Julia Fox, Lakeith Sanfield, and KG, Kevin Garnett himself. Probably the best athlete performance in a film. Maybe Tom Brady did pretty good in Ted too, though. With his debt mounting and anger collectors closing in fast, a fast-talking New York City jeweler risks everything in hope of staying afloat and alive in the film. It's very simple. That little blurb sounds very simple in a very relaxing movie. No... The directing and tension building will have you on the edge of your seat throughout the entire movie. It'll feel like your own life is at stake. It's absolutely unpredictable. It's absolutely crazy until the last frame of the film. Adam Sandler should have been nominated for an Oscar here. 
how he didn't, I have no idea. The film is rated R, though, so watch with caution. Shout out to Zachary Costner here, because it's number six, I Have Waves from 2019, directed by Trey Edward Schultz, the main cast, Sterling K. Brown, Taylor Russell, Alexa Demi, and Lucas Hedges. This movie is just emotionally shattering. It's really split into two halves, and after the movie, your heart's going to be split into two halves as well. Deeply intimate and devoted to making you have a special connection with these characters, and it does such a good job at that. It's extremely well executed here. The cinematography, extremely well done. It takes place in... I think the Florida Keys or Miami. I know it's around the same area, but still, it's very well shot. The soundtrack, banger after banger, Frank Ocean and Tyler, the creator, putting up just such a great piece of work here for this. I don't think it's talked about too much. I would safely say this is the most underrated A24 film, easily. I know it has a very good following, a very big following. It came out in 2019. A lot of films came out in 2019 as well, so that probably just pushed it under the radar for a lot of people. There's not much I can really say without getting to spoilers, but go watch this film. I want to say it's still free on YouTube, so if you can watch it there, watch it there as soon as possible. And at number five, my only horror movie in my top ten. Now, I absolutely love The Lighthouse. I love Midsommar. I love Talk To Me. X is very good. Pearl is very good. I can't wait to see what they do with Maxine. I think it's coming out later next year. Maxine looks very good, and it's going to be completing that trilogy of X and Pearl. Nothing will ever come close to Ari Aster's Hereditary from 2018. I think easily this is one of the best horror films ever made. It's in my top five for horror, probably. I just don't watch horror that much, but at least the top ten. Tony Collette and Alex Wolf act their butts off this entire movie. The film follows a grieving family who is haunted by tragic and disturbing occurrences. That little one-sentence blurb does not do this movie enough justice. And I don't really touch horror too much just because I'm kind of just underwhelmed by that genre. A lot of meh, a lot of fat that you need to get through before you get to the good stuff. I absolutely love Jordan Peele. I love Robert Eggers. I love Stanley Kubrick with The Shining. Still, there's a lot outside of that that's just not really good. I think a bulk of horror is just disappointing, I'll be honest with you. But this one is just a very good horror. It works as a really good drama as well, building that foundation of a solid drama to keep you invested and just outside of that very scary imagery is what makes this film so good. And what Ari Aster did in his directorial debut, one of the best directorial debuts of all time, easily without a doubt, in his directorial debut, solidifying himself on the Mount Rushmore of horror directors working today is nothing short of impressive. When I watched this the first time, I kind of saw the twist coming just because I maybe I watched a lot of films. It's still kind of predictable, but still that doesn't change the fact that it's just absolutely insane. The screenplay is extremely well done. Performances are great. This is one of the best horror movies ever made. Cons, I don't even really have any. Now that I'm really talking about it and thinking about it, it's maybe a 5 out of 5. At this point, it may just be a 5 out of 5 for me. But regardless, Hereditary is in our number 5. Let's go into our top 4 now. Welcome to the Mount Rushmore of A24, and although I have love for every single A24 movie, I think all of them are pretty well done. The creative freedom they give to these directors and these creators makes these films so special, but this top four is the absolute cream of the crop. Nothing gets better than these four. I have every single one of these top four films rated five out of five because they're absolutely perfect, zero flaws whatsoever. And Hereditary is also be a 5 out of 5. I think enough time has passed where Hereditary can earn its 5 stars. I watched it in January and nothing has really stuck out to me that doesn't deserve that 5. Regardless, let's go into the top 4. So number 4, I have 
one of A24's newer films. It came out in 2022. That's After Sun, written and directed by Charlotte Wells. A directorial debut from Charlotte Wells. Again, one of the best directorial debuts I've ever seen in my entire life. Also produced by Barry Jenkins, starring Frankie Corio, Celia Rousen Hall, and Academy Award nominated Paul Mescal. This movie is just perfect. I don't want to dive into spoilers because I went into it blind. It just leaves me speechless. I talked about it before, but it just really, as you watched it, it feels convoluted. It feels messy. You don't really know what you're watching. I was watching it. And I was like, there was 20 minutes left. I was like, How, why is this rated so highly? Why do people love this so much? I was like, is it like the last 20 minutes are just perfect? And that's exactly what it is. The last 20 minutes of this movie are just heartbreaking. I can't even really describe it. I don't even want to explain it because I think it's best if you just watch it without even knowing what's going to come. It's unlike anything you've ever seen before in your entire life. It's a sledgehammer to the chest that will leave you emotionally broken and thinking about it for days on end or months on end like I have. And also I feel one of the less popular A24 films. Even for as much love it gets and hype it gets, I feel like people still don't really know too much about it because of the other three I'll be talking about in a second. But watch this movie. It's only an hour and 40 minutes, but it's just absolutely great. The first watch will be a little bit confused. The last 20 minutes are just like, what the heck was that? What am I watching? Emotionally shattering. And then if you rewatch it, you'll just be even sadder. It's a movie that will just hurt more and more if you watch it more and more and pick up on more of the details. After Sun from Charlotte Wells is a 5 out of 5. Now, on to number 3. On number 3, I have Greta Gerwig's rectal debut, Lady Bird from 2017. Coming-of-age drama that is just absolutely perfect, written and directed by Greta Gerwig, who had previous writing experiences. Frances Ha was very good, but this is her first time actually directing, and she did a just incredible job. I love all the behind-the-scenes footage we've been getting of her directing, and just the film being her project, and you can see that it is her project, and she loves it so much. Starring Saoirse Ronan, Lucas Hedges, Timothy Chalamet. All three of those names, names that are really edging themselves into Hollywood. The actors that are going to be leading this next generation of actors. And they're all so good in this film. I love it so much. The film is very simple, just beautifully executed. Follows an artistically inclined 17-year-old. Comes of age in Sacramento, California in 2002. Just very simple plot. There's not really much going on here. It's just simple narrative and very beautiful writing. And it's just such a beautiful story that's so executed. I just can't talk about it enough. Absolutely brilliant screenplay. I think it's one of A24's shortest films as well at 90 minutes long. But this is so well done. I, I rewatched it recently and it still holds up to this day. On the surface, it's not really crazy complex like something like your Green Knight. But it's still somehow better than that, which is very impressive. Kicking off our top two, at number two we have Moonlight from 2016, another coming-of-age drama from Barry Jenkins. It's absolutely beautiful, it's brilliant, masterclass filmmaking for every single second of this movie. Every single actor in this movie gives an Oscar-worthy performance of Oscar caliber. Marshall Ali went out there and won Best Supporting Actor for this film, absolutely deserved it. The story itself isn't even that broad, not that narratively ambitious. The story follows a young African-American man grappling with his identity and sexuality while experiencing the everyday struggle of childhood, adolescence, and burgeoning of adulthood. This is the A24 movie that got me into A24, the first one I've seen, and since the very beginning, it's been easily one of my favorites, and that hasn't changed even after I watched over 20 other ones. It's still in that top two. The cinematography for this film is beautiful. The uses of anamorphic lenses, in addition to Barry Jenkins' close-up shot, where he literally puts the actor's face 
pretty much full screen inside the camera. It's such an intimate connection that you get with the audience and the characters. Something very simple like a close-up is just so well done. Only he can do it right. The score from Nicholas Bratel is perfect. It's great. He also did the score for Succession and If Bill She Could Talk, which is Barry Jenkins' other movie, which is also very beautiful. It's beautifully split into three segments, and each one is even more tragic, even more emotionally shattering as you watch this person spiraling because he can't find his place in the world or even his own life. This movie is easily one of the best from that year, but also one of the best this entire century by far. I think that it's a good lesson to Hollywood on doing LGBTQ story, but doing it the right way, which Hollywood was taught a lesson, but they use this lesson to put out other movies that just simply follow a rhetoric or follow a agenda, not being genuine in any way, and that's what really pulls those films down. It's not so much the message you're sending out, but just the way you're executing it. This film is very well done. I think that for anyone who may not even fall on that side of the aisle politically, we'll say this is a very, very good story. Narrative comes first, not your political beliefs. That's just a fact. That's what Barry Jenkins understood. A lot of people don't really understand that now, but this movie did it so well. Really hasn't been topped in terms of coming of age for me in forever. So five out of five, should you watch it? Yes, absolutely. But it's not number one. Moonlight would have been the best A24 movie if it wasn't for the real best A24 movie, the action-adventure sci-fi movie from the Daniels from 2022, Everything Everywhere All at Once. This movie is literally perfect. I, I can't really put into words how good this movie is. It doesn't matter what words I use from the Human Dictionary. None of it will be able to do this film justice. From the Daniels, pretty well known before, but this was the movie that really put them on the map. Michelle Yeoh, the legendary actress, Jamie Lee Curtis, Kiki Kwan... Stephanie Hugh, Jemmy Slate, they've all just done so good in this film. Everyone has their moment in the movie. Something so broad was executed so well. The film follows a middle-aged Chinese immigrant who is swept up into an insane adventure in which she alone can save existence by exploring other universes and connecting with the lives she could have led. There's so many pros for this film, but just number one I really should talk about, and it's a pretty big thing to talk about today in Hollywood, which is the VFX and the budget as well. This film had a budget of $14.3 million. I think it's the second most expensive A24 film to The Green Knight, which was $15 million. The VFX for this film looked absolutely great, and it was done by, like, I think, what, five people, including the directors, who learned from YouTube and were doing it, like, over Zoom. A shot from the movie is actually just the directors and the VFX artists working on the movie. It's very cool. It looks better than a lot of modern movies, which just shouldn't be a reality. Like about five people, a Zoom meeting, and YouTube were able to look better than a lot of MCU movies today. It's really embarrassing. Another thing, this is the absolute best exploration of the multiverse by far. It was very embarrassing because Doctor Strange's Multiverse of Madness came out later that year. A movie I drove over an hour to go see with a lot of gas and I was extremely disappointed by it. It's something that is so broad, but they were able to just really condense it down to something that can be a very intimate story. I think how they did this, and I see it in a few other different films, but just the concept of weaving different film genres together to do something very cool, it's specifically with sci-fi. I noticed this in most recently, I watched J.J. Abrams' Super 8 again, and absolutely love that film. But I noticed that it's a really good movie, but it feels almost like with Super 8, they had a script written for a very small movie, very intimate, coming-of-age drama, and then they brought the script to the studio, and Paramount was like, mm, you know, this is a really good script, but imagine if we had aliens in it, just cuz. And JJ was like, yeah, sure, why not, let's do it. That's how Super 8 feels, and that's how this movie feels, but just scale it up to 100 and done just infinitely better. 
Everything Everywhere shows what storytelling and what fiction can do and how it can change lives and just be such a beautiful piece of art like Everything Everywhere was. I wish I could talk about it just more in depth and I can. I have the movie on 4K actually because I bought it right after I watched it for the first time. But it's just such a broad movie. There's so much happening. I don't know if I can even do it justice, honestly. It, it, I would need at least like a five-part series on this one movie to do it justice. And even then, I, I don't think I'd be able to do it. Go see Everything Everywhere all at once. Also, for my list for top 20 movies from the 2020s, Everything Everywhere is listed at number two right now. It's only second because of Oppenheimer. And Chris Renault went out there and he put out his career best, his magnum opus in Oppenheimer. But if it wasn't for that, Everything Everywhere would be number one. All right, so that wraps up our top 10 ranking for 24 films. But just for a quick recap... The two honorable mentions, by the way, are Under the Silver Lake and Minari. Going to the top 10, I have The Green Knight. Number 9 is The Florida Project. Number 8, Past Lives. Number 7, Uncut Gems. Number 6 is Waves. Number 5 is Hereditary. Number 4 is After Sun. Number 3, Lady Bird. Number 2, Moonlight. And number 1, Everything Everywhere All at Once, or E-E-A-A-O. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Quarters from a Podcast. Hope you found this one fun. As I was doing this, I realized how much I really want to talk about all these films even more. I think all these films are definitely going to get their own episode in the future, for sure. Until those come out, our next episode will be Francis Ha, directed by Noah Baumbach. You can find that film on Netflix, or if you don't have it, I'm pretty sure it's free everywhere to watch. So that one's really fun. It's a really good indie film. Only an hour and 20. It's an easy watch. Watch that one before we the next episode. It's going to be really good. Until then, find us on all of our socials linked down below. And until next time, I'm your host Logan, and I'll catch you in the movies.